Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Joined, I want to say as always, but you were out last week. Brian Gottlieb, Cedric Phillips is gone, never to be seen or heard from again. And welcome back, Brian. I know that you were, you know, busy moving across the country. You're still waiting on your stuff to arrive. Uh, so setup may or may not be as good this week. Yeah, I apologize if I, I don't sound great. I'm using my old microphone and I am in the middle of a, a pretty cavernous kitchen. Uh, my, my house is like half log cabin, half post and beam. And so it's got a lot of really high ceilings and a lot of wood and my stuff is not here yet. So I imagine I sound pretty echoey to the listeners. And uh, you have my apologies. Hopefully next week we have a nice setup and you're back to hearing uh, my smooth, usual microphone working. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you made it. Everything seems to be going pretty well. And then it's just a matter of time before you get settled in. Everything's golden, right? Yep. No complaints. Well, wait, I won't say no complaints. I have... One complaint. You're allowed to have complaints. That, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. completely fine. So, so the complaint I want to levy specifically against you is that Uh-oh. I take a week off and you just talk about nonsense for a week. All I ever <laughs> want to talk about is nonsense. Yet you bring me to the table to talk about magic week after week. And then I'm not here and you just go off on nonsense. And I wanted to be part of that episode. I was very upset. Okay. Uh, did you enjoy the episode? I did enjoy the episode. And now I will admit I only listened to about half of it because- What? Here's the problem. My wife and I are driving together the entire time. I haven't had like any alone time. We're just like riding in the car together. And I'm like, hey, I want to listen to Jerry and Cedric do my podcast. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so I put it on and we're listening for a while. And she's like, she's enjoying it. She's laughing along. And then we just reached a point like an hour and a half in. And she's like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. And I'm like, fair enough. We can stop it at this point. So we didn't get to finish the episode. If I, if I had any free time, I, it would be on my backlog, but I've just been so busy since I got here. I don't think an hour and a half was the halfway mark, but... It was a long episode, didn't you? You cracked two hours, right? I don't know. I didn't look at the actual time. I think uh, the Zencaster time was like close to two hours, yeah. Okay. Okay. So so maybe I got through like 75%. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't get okay. to the end of That's the episode. That's not bad. That's not yeah. bad. I'm, I'm glad Janelle enjoyed it. Or she did. For a little while, at least. Most of it until the jargon happened. But right. yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know, man. With, like having Cedric on the cast and I, I didn't want to just do a, a top 10 thing. And like I said, you know, I was listening to like the Resleavables and he and I had a bunch of shared history. Like we kind of came up at the same time, you know? So I wanted to sort of do something like that. And it seemed like people enjoyed it i think and, so yeah i thought you guys got a really good response and i'm i'm down to do the same with you at some point if you want to do that well we we've done a couple of nonsense shows usually they come in the form of amas but maybe i want to find like I, I was just jealous of the show like quite frankly i was like i want to be on this show so maybe we need to find some uh like jerry and brian's shared experiences show that we could drop on people although you just have way more with Cedric than you do with me because I've been such like a rare feature at these tournaments right. for so long. Yeah. And, and he and I were in close proximity for right. you know, three or four years of our live lives while he was at college. So right. yeah, it's, it's very strange, you know, because some of the people from like around that era, like a lot of them have moved on and done other stuff, but like he and I have just like stuck with it the entire time and mm-hmm. our past weren't always on the same trajectory or anything, but I'm sure that, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, even in recent times that we could have talked about, like SCG tour yeah. things, right? 
Yeah, very true. And it's uh, again, it's different. It's like I was playing and he was broadcasting or whatever, but I'm sure that there's like, you know, I could talk about like stories from the floor while he talks about, you know, nonsense between, you know, him and the casters or whatever. Right. Yep. And yep. yeah, we've just basically always been involved in magic in, in around the same spaces. So there's, there's just a ton of history there. We could, no, th- we could that make was, like that was a, one of the really cool things about it. That was the, one of the really cool things is just like, wow, this game has united you two for such a long period of time. And you have this like long history, long friendship that just couldn't exist without magic. And exactly. I mean, maybe it could, you know, circumstance could be completely different, but is extremely unlikely to exist without magic for sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm going to make you talk about magic, like actual magic. No fun stuff. OK, no, uh, I, I really do want to talk about magic. I, obviously, it's like a super interesting time uh, in in multiple formats. We caught a, a band announcement out of nowhere yesterday. We have Modern Horizons. So I am I am actually thrilled to talk about magic this week. Yeah, big Modern Horizons show for sure. That's what my main focus has been on. Uh, obviously, we do have the historic announcement with Time Warp getting banned. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Because I definitely have my own thoughts. Yeah, uh, look, we can play this game if you want. If this is what you want to do, you want to chase the things that are being fueled by Brainstorm forever, sure. Get Time Warp, you'll get Mizzix Mastery next, and then... I don't know who goes after that. And then you can hit brainstorm and then, oh, look what Faithless Looting is doing and we'll have to get that. So you, you rolled the dice when you put these cards into the format. And if you try and go after the payoffs, this being like, Time Warp is a strange card, but on its face, it's not a super impressive card. It's it's a five mana sorcery. Like if a five mana sorcery messes up the format that bad, it's not about the five mana sorcery. It's about the other stuff going on around it. So sure, it's the best deck right now. Like the Time Warp deck was the best deck. I don't question that, but uh, you're just going to keep doing this and you're going to slowly ebb away at more and more wild cards and people are going to get angrier and angrier. And at some point, there's going to be a limit to what people put up with. So my thoughts certainly echo yours. but. I have an additional thing. Okay. While the Strixhaven Championship was happening, I was watching a little bit. A buddy of mine messaged me, and he's like, hey, if I wanted to buy into this this Time Warp deck, it would be 13 Mythic Rare Wildcards or whatever. Should I do it? And I I was just like, nah, man, I'm pretty sure that deck's, like, real bad. And he's like, really? It's like, you know, a lot of good people are playing it. It's kind of like crushing the tournament. And I was just looking at like the decks that people were playing, both like actual archetypes and like their their con- specific configurations. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, I can't think of like a single deck that I would willingly register in historic that would have a bad matchup against that deck. It's it's very exploitable. Like I said, five mana sorcery that should be something you can target pretty hard, if if not targeting other aspects of the deck as well. Yeah, and so I, I was just like, eh. I mean, you you could probably do better. My expectation was like. Yeah, maybe it does well, maybe it even wins the tournament, whatever. But in the coming weeks, it will definitely get beat up. And, you know, I didn't want him to buy a bunch of like Velomachuses and Mizzix Masteries and stuff that were just going to be garbage after that. Indomitable creativity, right? Right. So, you know, it puts, what, six in the top eight, wins the tournament, has the best win percentage, 60% or something. And he was just like, dude, are you sure? Are you sure that you know, this deck is bad. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's good in the field, man, when all the Phoenix decks look like they do and have like Stormwing Entity. Like Stormwing Entity is a, a, so I wrote about Phoenix like two weeks ago, right? And 
my deck had zero copies of that card. I didn't even like the card when I, I don't even think that that deck was on my sideboarding guide. Like, you know, Velobok is time warp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I already did not like the card in the archetype. And it's even worse when you're talking about like, oh, I play this three, three. And then my opponent poly kills me. Yeah. Right. Like you cannot afford this thing that is effectively a three mana sorcery. And just almost everyone had it in their deck. Like Alex Haynes deck was the closest thing I saw when even his deck was like kind of nonsensey. Uh, but he, he seemed very cognizant of the fact that that was a deck that existed and built his deck as such. And I don't think anyone else really did that. It's, it's odd not to at least give a moment to see if the metagame could adjust because this, this came real quick which makes me believe the numbers were just completely out of control or we're just doing something different. Like the, the reason put forth was that this is an unfun play pattern. Well. Historic. Like, duh. <laughs> like, right, I, yeah. I don't know what you, ex- what did you expect? What did you think Time Warp was going to do? And you, you got rid of other cards from the set. You certainly couldn't gotten rid of this one. So historic is going to need a rudder it's it's a lot of fun i have a blast with historic we loved talking about all the mystical archive stuff and the format being nonsense is like it's hallmark it's it's what it does and it's part of its draw but that won't hold attention forever and economically you are frustrating people i hear that complaint more and more as time goes on people are economically frustrated by these ban policies and I don't blame them at all. You lose so much equity. Sure, you get your four wild cards back, but everything else surrounding them is completely, completely obliterated. And this is the second card already from this mystical archive that we're doing this with, having already felt the burn of Tainted Pack. And as you notice, no Tainted Pack mis- materialized after the ban. Like, obviously, it needed Thassa's Oracle to work. So I- I'm not the least bit surprised to see things go that way. And the, the argument that there was other ways to play it never really made sense to me. Speaking of economically frustrated, like, Brainstorm, Faithless Looting, rare for historic, okay, fine, I, I kind of get it. But when Abundant Harvest is a common in MH2, and it's a rare in the Mystical Archive, like I, I, I assumed that abundant harvest was going to be like uncommon or rare based on it being a rare in there. Yeah, I, I always thought it was going to be a common. I don't know why it just spoke to me that way, and I, I, I couldn't see it being really moved that far up the rarity scale. So it makes sense being a common in Modern Horizons. In Modern Horizons, but right. yeah, when you when you like reverse engineer it or whatever, I was just like, oh yeah, like why would they make this a rare? And just like that's one of those things where it's like, why is this like this? And I'm obviously when you ask that question, like the answer is obvious, right? It's like to make money. Duh. It sure but, seems like it. I mean, they, they put forth like basically a scale they used where if, if a card was this in its prior printing, then it was going to be this in the mystical archive. Like that's that's the way they presented it. And they stuck to those rules and followed them. But it, you made the rules, so you could have made the rules say whatever you wanted. And, right. Exactly. Uh so yeah, I, I have come around on Historic. Initially, it was like, wait, we should be curating this format differently and like trying to actually make it good. And then they did 10 things to go against that. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess we're not trying to do this. Then that's fine, you know? Uh, so yeah, embrace the chaos. But they're doing it both ways now. That's, I, the, that's the problem. Yeah. They're like I, half I guess, curating I guess, with spot bans and it's, it's just frustrating. It's not even actually shaping the format. Yeah, I guess I guess that that is also true. Uh, 
I mean, they're they're also like we have we have a suspended list, right? Uh, theoretically, but we didn't use it here, so I I don't even know what its purpose is anymore. Yeah, same. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. None none of it's great. I I am happy the time warp is gone. I do not think that this will be the last card that has to go. Nope. Uh, so that's kind of frustrating. And I am also frustrated that they just like snap banded after the PT when I think it's a very beatable deck and well within the parameters of what is capable in historic. So we are, we are in alignment. So. Yeah. A lot of it is just super strange. Yep. Anyway, Modern Horizons 2. What do you know? What have you seen? What have you heard? I haven't played. I just want to be completely transparent with everyone. My life has been too hectic to actually get in games of Modern Horizons 2. I feel bad about it and maybe not even feeling bad, just from like a content creation standpoint. I just want to play with the set. Like I'm, I'm frustrated that it's not something that is fitting into my All life right, right now. Let, let me interject here. I've drafted like 15 or 20 times. That's a lot. Isn't that messed up? If, if y'all want a Modern Horizons draft podcast episode i got you we, we wow. can do that i don't yeah. think i don't think that anyone would care because it's not relevant for anything but i'm saying like i'm not necessarily anti-limited right i just have to actually care about the format and this format is actively fun it's a good format okay that's good to know so first thing i'm going to do when i actually have a spare second is play some limited Hit sorry me up. that is frustrating yes Hit me up. yes you'll give go. me the breakdown it'll be good i'm excited uh, i love a good limited format i'm happy to hear it's getting good reviews. Uh, what about what about the constructed side? Wh where are you at? Because I see the construct uh, <laughs> inside. Yeah, I, I see a construct starting to develop with this format. Very well placed. Uh, that already looks problematic. And okay. When I don't when, know, man. When we saw Urza Saga, it was like, okay, this seems dope. What can we do with it? And then it was like amulet colossus hammer all of these all of these things right and it was like yeah that that seems pretty good yep at that time did you did you realize that you could no. make the second concert nope 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 didn't i didn't realize. either nope i already thought it was good and then it was like oh yeah you just you get a second 10 10 or whatever it's like yeah. okay so right. so your land your land by the way when we did our throne of eldraine review Castles were my number one card in the set because I was of the opinion that if you can extract any kind of value out of your mana base, it's such a tremendous edge. Like it's just, it's a game changer. Those resources are supposed to do one thing. If you get them to do multiple things, you're so far ahead of the game to the point where Castle Vantress, obviously not just Castle Vantress, but Castle Vantress is included garbage. in my number one card. Hot garbage. From Throne of Eldraine. Even being garbage, it's still impressive for what it can accomplish. But Urza Saga makes mana. I mean, it's colorless mana, so theoretically that's a weakness. In if in it, modern, I you know, you can find ways around it. You can I, find agreed. some perfectly reasonable colorless cards to cast. Yeah. Uh, it, it then makes you two master of Ethereums, kind of. I mean, you don't get the pump for the rest of your team, but you're you're getting that big stupid artifact creature. Like you defaulted to it being a 10-10. My default way of evaluating this card is now to see it as a 4-4. It's yeah. always at least a 4-4, but yeah. it can be a 10-10. You're spot on. Uh, and and then you get to tutor through your deck and go find something else you want. Uh, yeah, we we might have overstepped on this card. And now it leaves us in a weird position because like, if I wanted to play 
modern going forward and I wanted to have the best deck in modern, I certainly need four copies of Urza Saga for now. Like, I don't know how long that's going to be true because can this really just be a part of every single deck in the format and it's what everything is about and things start to homogenize around these certain packages of cards. Although maybe not even because the list of archetypes you just rattled off, you're covering so much ground. It's really not any one specific thing. This card just kind of does everything. It's not in literally every deck, but the decks that it is in and truly shines is where you're, you are making like, you know, 10, 10 level constructs, not, not on like, you know, turn four or whatever, but right. uh, I don't know. So, so like the, the big thing is, is the food decks for sure. And yeah. uh, as more, okay. So we're, we're kind of top, talking about like a top 10 list, uh, at least in terms of like proliferation. And some of this stuff is, is very well melded together. And in this case, like yeah. Urza Saga and Asmore are, uh, so like the, the food decks are huge. It's what a very wide swath of the player base is exploring currently because it's like, you know, new, exciting territory. And there's a lot of different color combinations that you can utilize. And when you're talking about like Saga plus Cookbook, well, you're able to generate artifacts very quickly. Your constructs are very large. You get the tutor for whatever piece you're missing uh, for your engine and stuff. Uh, so yeah, in that deck, the constructs are very huge. Amulet, not so big, but uh, Amulet is one of the few decks that actively wants to play Saga on turn one because it sets up Amulet on three, which then kills the opponent. Yeah. So the play pattern for a lot of the other decks is play Saga on two, turn three, make a token, turn four, make a token. And that's investing a lot of mana early, but the food decks don't really care because like all of their stuff costs one mana. Right. So they're still able to like weave in the tokens pretty seamlessly. Whereas like there's there are some other decks where Urza Saga shows up that aren't able to do that all that well. Yeah, that, that tracks. I mean, I mean, the food decks can go even further than like their stuff costs one mana. The, some of them are doing things with zero mana, right? Like you're yeah. getting to Feasting Troll King, even uh, Bartered. Is it Bartered Cow or Bartered Ox? It's bartered cow. cow. Right? It is I a cow. So. Yeah. Uh, cow. Cow is mostly gone. That's probably correct. Uh, I worked really hard to get Cow into my first Asmore decks, and it was just, it felt like it was making every deck worse, basically. Yeah. Uh, the, the big misstep I, I, I got to when I was writing about the Asmore decks was I was just using the Underworld Cookbook as like a, oh, I go get my Underworld Cookbook with Asmore, and that's good. I, I'll just need one, and that's completely fine. Uh, four copies is definitely correct as both the best enabler for Asmore and one of the best payoffs you get to. Uh, when you get to the the end state of your deck. And I also just dramatically undervalued Asmore's ability to be like a one-sided play, Plague Wind. It, it happens way more than I thought it would. And all of these cards together are creating quite a scary situation. Uh, there's so many ways to go, be it Oval Chase Daredevil, uh, Hard Focus on Feasting Troll King, Hard Focus on Urza. Uh, there seems like so many paths for the food deck to take. And I, I hate doing this every time, but like, Imagine if it had Oko too, and we were still doing that right. thing. The the funny thing is, like I th I thought about that, and like Oko and Saga, you know, like they they both kind of compete for your mana at the same times. So and it's do. just like how how many Okos would I actually play? And it's like the the answer is probably a lot, right? But like yeah, you just want one or the other, right? If you get one or the other, you're doing something great. Yes, yeah, exactly. Out. And and you know, you you would probably play 
more sagas if you could. And if you didn't have saga, you'd play more than four Okos, right? So yep. yeah, you, you play like, you know, four and three or maybe even four and four and you're, you're probably pretty happy, right? But yeah, uh, these, these decks are quite good. Uh, they're, they're still going through a lot of iterations and a lot of growing pains. So the lists that you see posted now are definitely not the best things. Uh, I, I wrote about the the food decks this week, and I think that my list is actually really good. And basically the only thing that I'm really doing significantly differently than everyone else is just going really hard on Trail of Crumbs. Okay. And nice playing a long game. Well, I mean, yes and no. So like, you know, Saga gives you the early constructs, and maybe those get dealt with. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just kill your opponent. But, you know, you're also doing like Asmore stuff. Uh, you, you talked about like the one sided Plaguewind thing where it's like if you get a cookbook or a cookbook in two with Daredevil, you're just generating a bunch of foods able to just like machine gun down all their stuff. Like you're you're already inherently set up to be pretty grindy and have the games go to like turn five, six, seven. Yep. And you also have things like Asmore and Troll King and Gilded Goose that just like allow you to sack the foods on the cheap anyway. Mm-hmm. and that just makes trail of crumbs very very good as opposed to like having to pay you know three mana to to cycle your food right yeah feels like you're you're always doing your thing basically and you're gonna have incredible redundancy and backup plan after backup plan that's it's all very frightening and the way people are fighting you is like i don't know i've, I've gotten like gorilla shaman creeping corrosions does does any of that matter like fighting this on the artifact axis seems like a very temporary speed bump to me so so here's the thing is if you don't have trail and say that they're able to like you know kill your asmore or kill your troll king kill like the first big thing that you do and then they shatter storm you it, it is actually really good unless you have trail of crumbs then okay. then they just lose yeah, I think the end state for these decks is that they're going to be so good at building in redundancy and utilize so many different zones. Like they'll utilize the graveyard effectively with Emery and Oval Chase Daredevil and just also simultaneously generating battlefield presence while grinding. It's, it's going to be just like the old Urza decks where they play every single angle, angle so well that you can't yeah. just hate them out with one specific card. And that, that brings me to a question I have for you. Do I buy these things? Like seriously, do I do I really invest in these things? Uh, which is going to happen first? Am I going to get to play a paper modern tournament, or is this card going to be banned? I I just bought them, but like I'm also not an expert. My logic behind it was that you know I'm I'm you know vaccinated, going to be hanging out with some friends at some point, and I've already built some modern decks, and I would like to have the paper copies of the card. Uh, but also like they're $45, which seems pretty cheap for assuming, you know, paper comes back and mm-hmm. modern is a thing and people are trying to acquire these cards. Uh, but also like, even if it gets banned in modern, I'm not sure how much it'll get touched in legacy and vintage, at least right away. Obviously card is definitely very good in vintage. I haven't seen it too much in legacy, but it does seem very good there too. Yeah. It seems like it has potential there. For sure. And then there, there's still stuff like commander, right? Where it's like, I don't know the, the card if it gets banned in modern maybe it drops a decent amount but like it's it's still gonna be worth something okay so i don't know I bought, for the card safety i i bought them but i feel like there's enough in inherent there to maybe not have to be super concerned about how much the price gets hit if they get banned 
Yeah, like, these things tend to work themselves out. Like my wh- one of the big purchases that I should have gotten absolutely hosed on was like the Full Art Foil Ocos that I bought as soon as I realized the card was good. Uh, no, that's the one that retained value. It's fine. It, I mean, it's banned absolutely everywhere, but it, it's it's still worth basically a little bit more than what I paid for it. So, yeah, th- like the Full Art Foil is good. All the other ones were like you know eighteen dollars or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, the the special version. You know, it's it's usually if if someone wants it for a thing, like that's the one that they want, right? So unsurprisingly, the takeaway from all this is that I should buy the most expensive version of Urza Saga possible, and that will be correct. Maybe. I mean, I think $45 might be like a little on the high end um, for for what you should pay if you're being concerned about it getting banned. Okay. But I ordered from Haruya, so I got like the Japanese sketch versions and like I, I guess oh, like the. Nice. I thought you were done with Japanese cards. I I, I want to be. I also ordered like a bunch of English stuff from them too. If it was like a really weird card, I ordered English stuff. Okay. Um, but this is also me kind of like expecting them to get banned. So. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, but like yeah, like you know, for example, like the sketch versions uh were like the same price or lower than the the regulars for some reason. Yeah, card prices just don't make any sense to me anymore. I'm a total boomer when it comes to these prices, and I, I don't get exactly uh, how these cards are being valued anymore. So yeah. I just I just pay what they tell me to. Yeah, so like if you can get them for like, I don't know, 35, I feel like that's completely reasonable. But if you're trying to get like foil, whatever the coolest version is, like you're probably going to have to pay a lot. And then at that point, it's probably not. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, no more no more MTG finance. Uh. Scales is good. Dom Harvey won mm, the yeah. challenge with Scales. Looks nice. Yeah. Yep. Look, deck looked very nice, very powerful. Uh, it is popped up in some control lists. Canister has been streaming Lantern the last couple of days to like, you know, medium plus results or whatever, but he's still working through some stuff too. And then the one list I haven't seen it show up in a ton is the Colossus Hammer decks. And I think it's actually really, really good there. Yeah, those decks are getting to a very redundant point at this stage. Like they're they're very good at just doing their thing always. Uh, there, there's some like other vulnerabilities there, but in terms of like if your core problem was just doing your combo, I think they're getting very good at doing it all the time. And now it's like, oh, you don't have your combo, you just have like some mem knights or whatever. Well, now now you have some ten tens. You yeah. just do the affinity thing. Nice huge creature to go with it. Yeah. So I I, I actually want to try that out. Like nothing has made me ever want to pick up that deck. Until now. There's the saga. Power, powerful drug. Yes. So these decks are all cool. They're really fun to deck build around. They're very frustrating to play against. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what we're back to. Is an, another format that seems like it's going to be defined by a, by a structure that just has no answers. And that was kind of what Modern Horizons 1 did a bunch. Like Hogak didn't really have any good answers. It had too many play patterns and you couldn't attack it efficiently and urza didn't really have any answers until you cut out all the artifact mana from underneath it uh so i i don't know i don't know where this one ends up it'll be interesting to watch yeah i mean there's some stuff right where it's like this is this is an enchantment that's also a land if if you have a main deck nature's claim or something that's really good if you are playing merfolk and have tide shaper that's really good Mm -hmm. it, it just straight up kills the land uh so there are things that you can do to punish people for playing it i haven't seen people really go that route yet like i said i'm playing against a lot of you know like ragavan type stuff uh 
Dragon's Rage Channeler, Dothy Voidwalker. A lot of these are cards that we're going to talk about. And it's like these disruptive aggro decks that are trying to get me with like Gorilla Shaman and Creeping Corrosion. That has not been enough so far. But, you know, maybe there's a different way to go about it. And I, I think that this is like, okay, I'm going to take my good deck and then like put some extra stuff in it and hope yeah. to beat you versus like, well, I'm going to choose this deck because it beats your deck, right? Yeah, going to have to find some ways to accomplish that at a pretty low cost. I don't think you can go as far as like nature's claim, but there are some pretty diverse answers you might be able to look at. So. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Asmore is kind of lumped in here because the vast, vast majority of Asmore decks are also Urza Saga decks. So Asmore, very respectable, very good card in its own right. The, the food decks, I think, would exist without it, but they wouldn't be yeah. nearly as good. Yep. I, I thought the card was good. It's, it's better than I thought it was. That's, that's how I would line it up. Yeah, so these two together kind of make food a very, very good, reasonable option in modern. Just can't get away from these food decks. Nope. <laughs> food, maybe the most broken mechanic of all time. Who knows? I mean, yes and no, right? It's like when you when you print like cookbook where it's like it just makes food at such a good rate. And then this is a format with Oval Chase Daredevil. So you just get yeah. to remove any sort of downside. If you didn't want to discard like a Troll King for value or whatever, it just... The mechanic itself is not the problem. It's the cards that they made with the mechanic. Yeah, but I, I think like that's the core of the mechanic, right? It's like making this resource that comes in the form of an artifact is the nature of the problem. Like you're creating cardboard at way too low of a rate. And it, it doesn't feel like it should be that valuable because like gain three life, who cares? That's That's really like not tournament speed magic for the most part but that's not where these food cards often break it's in the payoffs for things like troll king things like asmore and then it's just in the sheer resource i have an extra artifact that i shouldn't have on the battlefield right and then your constructs are super big yeah yeah i mean a lot of it cat oven troll king it's just like no mana gate right so okay once you generate food then you get to do these busted things like these are these are just dark rituals or black lotuses or whatever that you're generating in order yeah. to do these things and it's like that's the problem like i feel like for years they managated everything they were so careful about just constant managates on any of these type of effects and then they took off all the safety valves at once it's just like yep we're done with that you can do everything for free yeah witches oven should not be free uh cookbook for modern specifically i think that that's fine but like asmore not being sorcery speed not being gated for the killing a creature thing. It's just, it's so absurd, man. Well, the list just goes so deep too. I mean, you can look at like Mayhem Devil. You could look at Woe Strider, which when we saw that card, it was like, oh, they're letting us sacrifice creatures for free now? Like that cost mana for years and years actually. And right. this is a big deal if you're going to let us do this for free. So uh, a, a lot of activated abilities had these safety rails taken off and maybe it's time to put them back on. Yeah. All right, next up, Dothy Voidwalker. You know this card, yeah? I do, yes. Okay. Uh, I thought that this was like maybe a reasonable alternative to like Leyline of the Void or Rest in Peace or something. And <laughs> like, th this is why I love Moto is because I have this thought, right? And then I look at the Moto deck list and I'm like, literally everyone else thinks the opposite. Everyone else is like, this is a reason to be heavy black and I'm playing four copies. Like, that's how good this card is. And I'm just like, oh, damn. All right, got it. Have you come around to that way of thinking or are you still on the fence about Dothy Boardwalker? 
Uh, I'm, I'm basically there. I'm basically right there with them. I, you know, at first it was like, you know, three, two body, double black is kind of tough. Uh, th- there's some things going for like, it's a rogue. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you just look at the mana bases and they're like, yeah, I'm playing giver of runes or whatever. And <laughs> Dothy Voidwalker. I don't no care. Problem. I guess it's, it's more like Esper Sentinel, Dothy Voidwalker, but you know, you have concealed courtyard. You just play a bunch of godless shrines, marsh flats, Urborg, whatever. You just make it work. And it's it's fine. And Voidwalker is very, very good. If you got like a ley line or a rest in peace on a reasonable body, it would be good. You know, it's like hosing Snapcaster Mages and like all of these things that you wouldn't want to side in a ley line of the void for. Yeah. But since it's already attached to this reasonable thing, I don't know, like the Jun list, for example, they're just like jam four play no ooze. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Able to use mana much more efficiently and it- fits a little bit better with the rest of the stuff going on. I, I love the aggression that this card naturally generates for these archetypes too, because I think they, we've talked a lot about Jund on this show, like old Jund and why it just fails over and over and over. And a lot of it, I think, is just based on missing aggression. So this slants a little bit harder with the, the shadow ability to just making sure it's connecting on a reasonable basis and lightning bolting your opponent every turn. And that it's, adds up. It's the Nizumi cutthroat thing, cutthroat mm. thing, right? Yep. Where like, it, it had it had fear and also couldn't block because it incentivized you to actually attack and play with made it you play properly. Yeah, and Shadow does the exact same thing. Yeah, and I like Shadow as a mechanic. I think it's really cool. I mean, it shouldn't be around all the time. I, I think it's kind of garbage, but okay. in in this instance, if it was just like this is unblockable and it can't block, it's like okay, fine. That's functionally the same thing. It feels flavorful though. Like all these creatures just they they feel shadowy to me. I don't know. It it resonates with me. Maybe, maybe because like I was around for Tempest, right? And I, I think back to oh, this being really cool, even if it was just kind of a secondary flying, right? It, yeah. it felt different than that. I mean, yeah, th- this card I agree feels shadowy. And I, I think it is correct for it to have that keyword, but realistically, in the context of modern, when there's like, you know, what's the next best shadow creature, right? It's miles miles apart from this yeah so it's, it's not it's, like it's probably get, dothy slayer right i, I think that's time shifted <laughs> in the format which is like strictly worse version of this so yeah yeah uh this card is good it's it's in like white black red black rogues seen mardu seen jun this is a card that is propping up a lot of aggro decks also a deck that is pretty good against the or a card that's pretty good against the food decks mm-hmm. like it's it's solid it's not like game ending or anything they can usually as more it down at least once maybe after it's you know done some damage to their graveyard you know like they had to pitch some good cards to actually get the food necessary to kill it or whatever uh but this this is very good and it's it's one of the things that is just making modern like a little bit more aggressive and you're starting to see just like these two and three color beatdown decks that yeah kind of have like no rhyme or reason it's like very much like old extended where it's like you just play the best creatures the best disruption best removal and it's like you know, you, you call it three deuce or jank or whatever, and that's it. You have a deck. If that is the lasting legacy of Modern Horizons 2, I think that's an awesome place for the set I agree. to arrive. I agree. Next up, Esper Sentinel. This is this is one of my favorite cards in the set. Uh, first deck that I messed around with was Humans. Mm-hmm. And I see some people playing like two copies. Uh, basically not a lot. I, I just instantly jammed four and was very happy with that. And whenever I watch like streamers playing against humans that like they just never have Esper Sentinel cast against them. So I don't know what's going on. People are not playing enough of this card, but then you look at the deck dump 
uh, on Modern from the 8th, and it's showing up as a 4-of in a lot of decks. So there are some folks out there doing work with it. Uh, humans, Death and Taxes, some Orzhov decks, some Stoneforge Mystic decks, you know. And this, this card is just very, very good. And MH2 is promoting a lot of, like, you know, here's my cheap spells and not a lot mm-hmm. of here's my really interactive deck or whatever. So this thing gets to live and it's probably going to like frustrate your opponents, draw you a bunch of cards. I, I think this card is fantastic. And I see it reaching back to legacy a bit too, which I Dude, think the is legacy absolutely deck, correct. The legacy deck looks nice. Yeah. Like and, the actual affinity deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it looks this, good. This card looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you sent me your humans list. I was on board immediately. I, I think people are still undervaluing this card. It's good to hear it's showing up more in the, uh, the Moto dumps. Uh, Dragons, Rage, Channeler, and Ragavan. Put them together. Not, not necessarily showing up in the same decks together, but when when Dragons, Rage, Channeler is in the mix, usually there's like a couple copies of Ragavan hanging out. Yeah, it seemed like Ragavan was the card uh, from my very outside perspective when I was just observing. It seemed like Ragavan was the card that really charged out of the gates. Uh, just everyone over the moon about it, playing it basically all over the place. Also another card that I think is going to have legacy impact and see a lot of legacy play. Uh, it uh, has. It, it's it's like blue red delver is like the the new big thing for legacy. Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. I mean, this card is extremely powerful, and you were very astute when we were doing our initial review of this card. Where I was like, well, it's not as good as Goblin Guide, and like I still kind of feel that way. But it's just not a it's not a comparable card. That's a silly comparison to make. It doesn't matter if it is anything like Goblin Guide. It's doing completely different stuff. So um, so where. I was skeptical of Dothy Voidwalker as just like, oh, a random beater that you put in your deck. I was just like, you know, what kind of deck is going to want that or whatever? You were kind of thinking the same thing about Ragavan, mm. right? Where you're just no, like, that's a good way of putting it. yeah, you know, like you, you want this in like some sort of mid rangey aggro deck, but you're just like, well, if you're going to play aggro, why aren't you playing like Goblin Guide or Death Shadow and like, you know, doing it like you mean it, right? Yeah. But uh partly in thanks to modern horizons too those sorts of decks are viable you know like people are out here playing zoo again so yeah and and as soon as i started building decks basically with modern horizons too i was like oh i want ragavan and all of these because i was building asmore decks and i'm like i want a lot of ragavans in these decks and things haven't broken down that way because they're sort of doing other stuff now with asmore and that's fine uh but it just showed me really that this card had a lot more purpose than i initially thought and could do a lot more things well, back to Asmore for a second. There's a bunch of different versions. Uh, I, I think that they're all kind of worse than like Green Black, but there are some Rakdos versions that also play a couple copies of Ragavan still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Asmore, like there's like some Urza ones, some Emery ones, whatever. Like basically like there's not a black white list because why would you want to be white? But yeah. Uh, Ragavan is still showing up in those lists. It's just like kind of small ball for what you're trying to do, but it's it's not bad. It's really not, especially if you're like doing smugglers copper things to yeah, enable yeah. Asmore. So yep, yeah, that's where a lot of my decks started. Um, but I I think the more this card branches out, I, I built some Jun decks with it, some some more classic Jun lists, and was quite pleased with those. I I think there's so much this card can do in the the mid-range aggressive space. And it's, again, filling that role of bringing the more mid-ranges approach to an early game that actually matters and potentially killing your opponent before they can do these silly things that we keep talking about as the game goes along. And Dragon Raid Channel are also doing the same stuff. Uh, again, excellent legacy card. I, I love the more aggressive shadow decks I've seen pop up in various places. So big fan of this card as well. 
the surveil is a lot. Yeah. It's a good ability. I, I, I think like we see surveil as scry at first, but it's so much better than scry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, filling your graveyard obviously like fuels this card itself, but then if you have any other way to utilize your graveyard, even if it's just like Unearth or Kolagon's Command, Lurus, mm -hmm. whatever, uh, it, it definitely helps a lot. And I've seen Dragon Rage Chandler in, you know, decks like the Dothy Voidwalker thing. I've seen things that basically look like the old Rakdos Shadow decks, except they're not trying to start the game at eight life anymore. And they're yep. just like, oh, we can just play these good creatures instead and not have to work for it. And that's pretty cool. Sounds there's, like a good plan. There's like some Delver variants. So all, all of these things are just very, very good. One really interesting thing that has uh, popped out to me in the discussion of this set is uh, Sam Black's take on it and him sharing some of the stories of him working on the development of this. Where Fascinating in, stuff. Yeah. So the, the idea that like, Luris is just unchecked and hasn't been played with when you're presented with this card set and you're asked to focus on anything else it's 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 bonkers it's it's just completely out of left field where you're like oh you're actually just ripping up the foundation of the game and now i have to evaluate is dragon's rage channeler good are is ragavan good while really there's this thing that's just you know it's a ticking time bomb and a looming specter sitting there and it sounds like Sam got really fixated on that, uh, appropriately so, but like it didn't matter in the context of this set. So you wonder if they had the companions as they exist now, what happens with these cards? Because how many points had to be taken off of these cards to get them to function well with original Lurus? Well, yeah, I'm actually shocked. I'm shocked that the car these cards are that good I when agree. Lurus was I agree. Track. Yeah, it, I, I don't know how you end up in that place. It's just like a, a really aggressive push when you have original Luris for sure but everything's a really aggressive push with original Luris. So. yeah i mean all of this ended up working out pretty well though because I think now so. these cards are good enough to see play in modern which is dope and they're like fun cool designs and Luris itself is like still the backbone of a lot of these decks but is completely reasonable yeah yeah things have settled into a good place and i think this set has a lot of potential to settle into a very good place it it just needs to maybe address this one problem or maybe not maybe you need to give the format time to breathe a little bit we'll see unlike historic unlike historic shut it down immediately yeah oh people people don't like it it's banned it's gone and it's like no we were complaining about the five other things and they're like nah time warp's banned you got it <laughs> not a problem uh counterspell what's what's this what's this guy doing I, I just don't feel like i've heard a lot of buzz around counterspell like it's it's there for sure all right and... I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna check the league Okay. Control F. Yeah. I can't type. Counterspell. 22 hits. Okay. A lot of hits. There's like 171 decks though, right? Is it 71 or 17? I don't know. I Somebody else told me that number, so I don't even know if it's accurate. My brother told me that number. He's like, okay. we're not going to do all 117 decks. And I was like, I hope not, because I, <laughs> I know I had a week off, but... Uh, similarly to Dothy Voidwalker, people are just making it work, man. They're just, do they're, you support them in their goal? Are they doing it because they love Counterspell? Or are they doing it because it's a good idea? Because all this other stuff we're talking about, like you're talking about Urza Saga being absurd. Well, Counterspell doesn't really interact with that. And then you're talking about a bunch of one mana things, Asmore, Underworld Cookbook, uh, Feasting Troll Kings coming from the graveyard. You know, you start to get to the Dothy Voidwalker space. Okay, you're trading at least an even mana, but Esper Sentinel, well, if that's on the battlefield and you're playing a bunch of Counterspells, that's not a great feeling. And these other one drops, you're trading down on mana. So all these exciting cards, what's Counterspell doing? 
I don't think the control decks are great. That said, there are a lot of control decks that show up in this 5-0 dome. Okay. And, and, and part of that could just be how many ways there are to build it, right? That's that's a function of yeah. the, the deck presenting algorithm, I guess. Right. Uh, I mean, it's basically just like the decks that had mana leak before now have counterspell in a slightly different mana base. Maybe they, they have to shock like an extra time over the course of a game because you can't afford to play like a basic mountain or a basic swamp. Like all your lands have to tap for blue, whatever. Uh, but I don't know. It's also showing up in some weird places. Let me find one. Like in Bant, right? Like Bant, Ice Fang, Kawaddle with two snow-covered plains and two snow-covered forests. They're still playing four copies of Counterspell. Okay. Uh, that may not go well. Dothy Voidwalker Rogues with three basic swamps, four copies of Counterspell. Yeah, we're, we're pushing it for sure. Uh, this one is like two Field of Ruin, two Snow-Covered Plains with 22 land, four copies of Counterspell. So like, maybe, maybe not ideal, you know? Uh, but even if you're not casting it on turn two, maybe you're like, well, I'm going to Stoneforge on turn two and Counterspell on like turn four or something. It's like, okay, that's, right. that's reasonable. Uh, Merfolk, you've seen them go a little bit lower on like Muta Vault and Cavernous Souls so that they can actually play Counterspell in, in some numbers too. Kind of cool with that. Yeah. So uh, Counterspell is showing up. It is, it is doing good things for some archetypes that were previously very solidly tier two, you know? Yeah, one of the real interesting ones we have on our list here from our show notes is, uh, is, is Delver. Delver actually picked up a bunch of tools lately and sort of dominating the legacy space at the moment, particularly is it Delver? What are you seeing from the Delver decks on the modern side? I'm assuming, uh, I can't remember the first name of the card, the, the Regent that is seeing a lot of play in Legacy. Merktide uh, Regent. Merktide Regent, the new Delve card. The blue Tomb Stalker, if you will. Uh, seeing a lot of play in the Legacy space. I have to assume it's doing something in the modern space as well. And we have like Force of Negation now, and there's Expressive Iteration. So it seems like this deck has picked up some tools lately. And you know I'm going to be excited if you tell me I can play Delver in modern. Uh, you are allowed. Okay. Mostly, that's, that's not the endorsement I was looking for. Mostly, uh, you know, Dragon's Rage Channeler is very good, as yeah. I noted. The you could Ragavan a little bit if you wanted to, right? Uh, you can. That's also technically allowed. Okay. Uh, Channeler is weird because it has this this drawback, right? I've yet to see it be a drawback. It's good to know. It it might be kind of like the Dothy Voidwalker thing, where it's like, no, this is just forcing you to like play optimally, build your deck optimally, right? Yeah. Uh, Unholy Heat is another one. That yeah, is, yeah, that card's good. good. That card yeah. seems quite good. That was that was a late, uh, late-ish preview, I think. And it's like, I mean, a lot of my decks, I just want to hit Delirium anyway because I'm yep. doing some nonsense. And then this has Dragon's Rage Channeler, Mistress Bobble. All of those are are super good. And then yeah, you have this card that's like just Magmatic Sinkhole, all ready to go. You know. Yeah, and, you don't have to wait around for the Delve cards. It, yeah, it seems, just, especially when you have other things you want to be delving for. So, Yep, exactly. So Unholy Heat has been uh, pretty nice from what I've seen, too. Cool. I would expect big things from that card going forward. So yeah, man, you're, you're technically allowed to play Delver. It's cool. All right, maybe I technically will someday. Nice. Uh, yeah, is it Control? Uh, is it Breach? A lot of blue-white Control, some with Moderation. A lot of Stoneforge Mystic just in general. Among Good these living decks, weapons picked up by Stoneforge Mystic in this set. Cauldra Complete. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I initially didn't like it because like if you fetch a batter skull and then your stone forge dies, like at some point you'll cast a batter skull. It'll be fine. Cauldra is pretty hard to cast, but I think you only fetch it against decks like Amulet, where you need a clock. And right. Right. that was one of the things that I kind of hated about Stoneforge in a lot of these instances where you have this thing that's like pretty solid against aggro, lets you grind grind against mid-range, but it's like such a bad threat against the big mana decks or like any sort of combo deck. And like Cauldra's actually solid. If you're making your Stoneforge Mystic meaningful against everyone, that that's a big upgrade. Because it just didn't matter. Like you try and get the job done with like Sword of Fire and Ice in those scenarios, and it was it was bad. It didn't right. work. Uh, so having a real option, I, I think, is a pretty big deal. And you're spot on. You won't get it all the time, but you're happy it's there. Yeah, and it comes at the cost of you having a card in your deck that you know maybe you don't want to draw at some point. But it's like, maybe that means that it should be a sideboard card, depending on the metagame or whatever. But regardless, you have this thing available to you that you did not have before, and it helps you so much in those matchups. I'm sure we're just going to get brainstorm in modern soon anyway it's it's probably not good there don't worry about it just like it <laughs> wouldn't be good in historic so just let that one run all right we're 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 adding brainstorm but we're banning savor the moment good idea yes play it safe shardless agent uh my crashing footfalls that i was stockpiling after modern horizons one are now worth quite a bit so thank you shardless agent for contributing to that what what is quite a bit $18 for foils no. was the last price I saw. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know if anyone's buying them at that price, but that's what I that's what I saw on like MTG stocks, I believe. Nah, four dollars. Yeah. Oh, wait. Were yours foil? Yeah, they're foil. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of rhinos in my collection. Yeah, $18. Oh. Yeah. So you bought these for like two dollars or something? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. Okay. Yeah, they're like 20 now. Uh, this was just back after the release of Modern Horizons when like nobody liked this card, and I was convinced it was just a real card you could play. Like I thought you could just put it in Jund, and I was wrong. That's fine. I get a lot of things wrong, but now we can shardless agent into it, and I still think it might not be that good, but it's definitely better than the other stuff when you're trying to play fair. Like I will definitely take a crashing footfalls over ancestral vision any day of the week when it comes to modern. It it pains me to agree with you, but I have I, to agree I with know, you. <laughs> I know. Look, I love drawing cards too, but it's that's just not how modern works. You need to get a clock going, and uh, these decks look pretty good. I'm I'm enthused about the idea of maybe one day getting to register a shardless agent cascade. I mean, what'd you call these mid range decks, control decks? I, I don't even know exactly how to classify them, but they kind of just have some good spells, brazen borrower, bone crusher, giant stuff that all looks good. Fire ice. Yeah, fire ice is another one. That's a nice addition for modern horizons too so uh fire ice underrated i think i think so yeah it's, it's a crafty card i'll say that yeah so it doesn't kill a ton of stuff although oddly enough mh2 has lowered the overall toughness level of things, good point yeah right like if people are not playing death shadow and prowess is not being played as much and people are playing like ragavan and ignoble hierarch and Dragon's Rage Channel or Delver, like fire starts looking pretty damn good, right? Plus, yeah. it just pitches at all your free blue spells. Yes, so it does. It's, yep. it's good. Purpose. I, I don't know how many you want to jam in, like, you know, any single deck or whatever, but certainly for these decks, it's a four of because you can't cascade into it and it does all the pitchy things. Uh, but I think that this card will show up when its time is right, you know, when there's a lot of one toughness stuff around. 
I look forward to that. What, what else are you doing with Shardless Agent? I started seeing a lot of Living End around, the blue Living End decks, which makes sense, right? You get another card to pitch to Force and Negation. Uh, you're, you're cascading a lot more effectively into your Living Ends. It, it seems like they just always have the Living End at this point. It's, it's so trivial for them to be able to do their thing whenever. It's always just been a question for Living End, how good is that thing? But I think this real castable body is fighting the good fight when it comes to Living End. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's fundamentally not that different than just playing Demonic Dread Violent Outburst. It's just mm -hmm. like, well, now if instead of Fulminator Mage or whatever, you can have Force Negation if you want it, and it allows that deck to have a little bit more wiggle room on a week-to-week -week basis. You know, it's like, all right, you're you're living in person. You just want a living end all the time. Well, if Joan isn't good this week, well, maybe like bant or teamer is you know yeah yeah a lot more flexibility for that archetype and, and i think like the blue fair games are way better than the old jundish color fair games especially with the addition of shardless agent to the mix yeah one place i've seen shardless agent a lot is in humans and okay. man uh i i would love for this to be good but when you're an aether vile deck right yeah. And you're trying to take your vial up to like two and play out your two drops and then three and then play out your three drops. But then you have this three drop that you still have to cast. Mm. It's not great. And then you have things like Shardless Agent into Aether Vial. Not great. Yeah. What about the argument that you you get your other three drop onto the battlefield with your Aether Vial so it frees up your three mana to actually cast the Shardless Agent? That's only if things are going well. Like you can have well, things are always going well for me, Gerald. I don't. I don't know if you know that word. Um, okay, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, th there are just games where, like you know, you you keep like a landlight hand because it has a vial, right? You don't necessarily get to three mana right away. Yeah, and that's the problem where it's like, oh, I, I got my vial to three. I vialed in my Mantis Rider, and they killed it, and now I can vial in my Shardless, or I just wait until I draw like a real three drop to violin. It's like, well, now you're just supposed to like not take your vial up to three, I guess, but that removes a lot of the power from the deck. And when you are just like casting things, you know, if like if you don't have vial, if vial's just not in the mix, Charlotte's agent is solid. But in terms of overall cohesion of the deck, I don't think it's very good. And that physically pains me to say it. It really does. Trust, okay? I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you find somewhere else to play your Shardless Agents. I, I think there are options for you out there if that's really what you want to do. There are options. It's like fifth on my list of things to do. A lot of things. A lot of things available. Uh, I have been playing Sanctum Prelate and now Deputy of Detention. And okay. those have been very good. Deputy for the Crashing Rhinos and yep. the food decks. I think it's it's pretty solid there too. Um. And then Imperial Recruiter in the sideboard. And I think that that should be the card that takes place of your Militia Bugler type thing, like whatever card advantage thing that you want. And the body's not good, but you do get specifically the thing that you actually want to get, which has been awesome. Nice. Winning you a lot of games, finding whatever it is, Medley Mage, Magus of the Moon, whoever you want to bring to the table. Uh, Plague Engineer, that's Plague a good Engineer. one. Collector yeah. Roof, that's good. Sure. Uh, Harsh Mentor. Harsh Mentor is pretty good against food. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good pickup. And that was the card that people were playing to beat up on Heliod, too. So Cool. Scion of Draco. Revitalizing Zoo. 
allegedly. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I buy this one. I I was excited about this card at first, but I, I'm I'm not convinced. There's too many other powerful things going on to jump through all the hoops, and I think the payoff is just kind of low. So territorial Kavu is kind of whatever. I don't think that that card is like super strong or powerful. Like it, it's it's definitely not better than Tarmogoyf outside of it's a gold card, and mm. maybe you're benefiting from that off of like Niv Mizzet or uh, General Ferris or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, seen a lot of General Ferris around. Yeah. And like Scion is is solid. It's it's very good. It's it's pretty easy to like turn to this thing consistently. And if you're getting, you know, hexproof on your Manus Rider, cool, even better. But I think that these zoo decks, like the way that they're built now, are a thing that would be like, okay, cool. If you just added those to modern three months ago, then that would be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in the context of the rest of the set, it's not that good. It it kind of feels like it's playing on a slower pace than a lot of the other things that are happening. And honestly, it's a smaller pace sometimes. I mean, Modern is a big, powerful format. And the, the zoo stuff needs to be as lean, as clean as possible. And nothing that Scion of Draco does convinces me that if I need to get my opponent dead as soon as possible, I should be playing zoo as opposed to either prowess or like, maybe burn in certain scenarios, but very little is pointing me towards zoo. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's kind of the problem is that like right now that should be what your game plan is, is to get people dead as soon as possible. But the deck is kind of constructed in such a way where you're more like a Doran deck. We're like, yeah, it's every, like a little sticky, a little hard to play through. Yeah. All of your threats are just absolute must kills because they will, they will kill you very quickly. And that's not really what modern needs right now. And obviously that could change. Uh, so, you know, you have this thing in your back pocket or whatever. Right where I like to keep my sign of Dracos in my back pocket. Uh, that said, I do think that you can play this in some of the Cascade shells and it might be good there. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. Why do you see it as a point of strength for that deck? Because the deck lacks good things to do on turn two, especially proactive things. So you have Fire Ice, right. Bone Crusher, Brazen Borrower, all, all that sort of stuff. But you don't have just like a big beater that you can play on turn two. And okay. if you go Triome into, you know, the opposite Shockland or whatever, then you're good to go. Obviously, that means your mana base is a little bit painful. You're probably playing a bunch of colors. Playing a bunch of colors isn't necessarily that bad if you want, say, Arden Plea and Shardless Agent versus, uh, you know, Violent Outburst, Shardless Agent. Maybe you want more blue cards for force or whatever. Maybe you mm -hmm. just want to play 10 Cascade cards or something. Okay, you make, you make a good case for that. Uh, anything that's helping out my rhinos, my crashing footballs, I'm on board with. So, yeah. So that that's a thing that I'll try at some point. I'm not really, uh, I'm not feeling incentivized to try it anywhere else, really. Word. Uh, Vindicate is dope. Love I've, this card. I, yeah, I've not like played with or against it very much, but going through the deck dump, it does show up in a lot of different places, and I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like Esper Control. Right, it's like you wouldn't necessarily expect this to slot into like the Archmage Charm deck or whatever, but then they're right. just like you know playing some copies in the sideboard or whatever, and that's completely reasonable. The best catch-all possible, right? Especially at a moment when there is a very real threat coming from the mana base. So. Yeah, yeah, you can you can blow up Urza Saga if you have a problem with Tron lands, which you know you probably do. Yep. Then this is there. Obviously, it's not like the best answer, but it's like you have counterspell, you have force negation, you have a lot of ways to like stop them, and then blow up their Tron land, they reassemble, you can snap caster it back, stuff like that. So it's good there. And then for 
a lot of the decks that are like the Dothy Voidwalker style of things, I mean, this is, yeah, just the best catch-all for you. And it's just pretty awesome. I think this is a very good addition to Modern from a gameplay perspective. Modern just needs these slightly expensive catch-alls where literally they catch all. Uh, it's why Assassin's Trophy was such a big deal for the format. And maybe this can uh, open the door for White to be a bit more of a player. Yeah, uh, Stoneforge getting Cauldra and then Vindicate existing and also just like Kaya's Guile, Vanishing Verse. Like mm -hmm. they've picked up a ton of really, really solid tools. And I mean, Dothy, Dothy Voidwalker helps, Esper Sentinel helps. So you can build a lot of different decks around, you know, white and black right now. Uh, black, white, fair stuff. I, I can't wait to go three and two with it. Dude, that's exactly what I want to be doing. I'm, I'm so excited. That's that's on my list, but it's it's significantly further down the list than like Shardless Agent. As it should be. But I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. Uh, Ignoble Hierarch is 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 good. I don't know. Like it, it is exactly doing what you would expect. Yeah, no surprises with this card. We've sort of seen it before uh, and it's doing the same stuff. Anything that this has opened the door for that you didn't expect or any surprising places you've seen this card show up? No, I mean, like, so this plus Imperial Recruiter means that you can build your Court of Calling decks not with a green-white base, which mm -hmm. is cool. Yep. Uh, this has been showing up in Jun decks, and then once you have this, you're a little bit more aggressive. Maybe you want Dothy Voidwalker. Maybe you want Dragon's Rage Channeler or Ragavan. Um, I, I didn't see any Goblin decks specifically in the, the Modern League 5.0. I'm sure that's just a thing that's going to happen inevitably. Yeah, you'd expect it. And then I, I played this in some of the food lists too. Okay. Just as, as more geese, more gilded geeses. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that. That seems fine. Imperial Recruiter we kind of talked about in a, a few different spots. I think the thing worth noting about this card that maybe people have not really picked up on is like it's kind of a one card combo like you get this and then felidar guardian felidar blinks this and then you get kiki jiki and then that blinks uh felidar yep yeah so, I, I built some decks around that in one of my articles recently and was pretty excited about it, it it's it's fairish but it does contain that combo within yeah so i think i saw some decks in the deck dump that were able to do that and just omitted those cards from their deck list and it's like eh I don't know if I actually agree with that, you know? I always like free wins. Uh, if you're going to give them to me, I will take them. It, I, I want to pull up my exact list, actually, because I, I can't remember what I was hard focused on. Maybe it was just like a very toolboxy approach and uh, Magus of the Moon often being a key piece of my uh, stopping power. But Imperial Recruiter just has so many good targets that invalidates so many game plans. That's why I'm really into this card. I think the tutor box is perfect for modern and what exists in modern right now. So I searched for Imperial Recruiter and the first deck that shows up is a Urian deck that, yeah, you do it is, that way. is Boros with Urza Saga. And that's like kind of medium Urza Saga. Is this just getting like Aether Vile or, or Shadow Spear? But like if you go like pretty big golem into pretty big golem into Shadow Spear, that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this, this is like a, a Vile Imperial Recruiter deck that has 80 cards, and it's still not just playing like one Felidar and one Kiki Jiki. Yeah, I feel like you could find the room for that. I mean, you have, you have six basic planes and two Magus of the Moons, but like, I don't know, you just, you just Vile in the Kiki Jiki, like who cares? Or Magus of the Moon helps you cast it, whatever. Sure, a lot of options. Yep. Anything, anything else noteworthy show up from your article? 
No, no, I, I was doing pretty boring stuff, quite frankly, with Imperial Recruiter. And uh, I, I don't know, like, like I had the Kiki stuff. I, I stole it from uh, Pascal Menard, who was writing about it. And uh, I think did a good job putting together the shell. There's certainly ways you could push it a little bit further. I, I think my deck might have been while I was writing about Asmore still. So I was trying to do like Ether Vile Asmore things. Um, okay. Yeah, which which is interesting. Like I, I sort of want to see that show up, but I don't think we'll be seeing Asmore having to branch out more uh, from the food package where it's doing so well. Okay, so Spider Space is a Boros Urian deck that has one Felidar, one Kiki Jiki. So there you go, picked it up. Like it. Uh, ben Bot has four Felidars and Sahili Rise, so obviously they mean it. You know. Yeah, they're going for it. And then. Uh, this person has like collected company, ephemerate, ether vial. So, you know, Felidar Kiki Jiki, uh, probably, probably pushing it a little bit. Plus, they're Abzan, you know, so like they have vial to cast Kiki Jiki, but well, I guess, I mean, they're still playing Imperial Recruiter, so they're four color, I guess. I don't know, whatever. And then do whatever person, makes you happy when it comes when it comes to this card, I say. Yeah, they have Wasteland Strangler. So, like, yeah, just do whatever makes you happy. It's fine. Uh, and then this other one is Enigmatic Incarnation. Um, but like love, love that card, but I don't I don't know what we're doing there. Yeah, I mean, so they only have one Imperial recruiter, which makes sense. So yeah, yeah. maybe you don't need the combo there, but oh, so like some have it, some don't. But regardless, I think that it's it's a pretty low opportunity cost add. Oh, I, f I finally figured out what I was writing about when it came to uh this card. It it was my Mox Amber article that I wrote. Yeah. And I, I thought it was pretty interesting in combination with, with Ragavan. I was basically building a, a, a Ragavan base for this combo. Giver of Runes, Skyclave Apparition, uh, and then some, some random legends that you could potentially tutor up. And Magus of the Moon, Village Bellringer for a little bit of redundancy, and then maxing Imperial Recruiters. Uh, and I, I thought the toolbox was really good, as well as just the base package. It was, it was very clean, a lot of good options. Sanctum Prelate you mentioned earlier card's quite good and can just do the job so uh, i'm interested to see what it's like when you speed that deck up a little bit with a combination ether vial mox amber yeah no that sounds interesting it's it's weird that you're like so you have ragavan to accelerate into a three drop in a lot of different ways obviously either the treasure gets there or you just have mox amber yep but then you're like boom imperial recruiter what's up and it's like speed it up slow it down kind of thing yeah, there's something. I mean, that assumes Ragavan doesn't hit twice, which it could potentially do. Yeah. Right? And I, I do think this deck tends to be mana hungry. Like, whenever you're able to go into your deck a lot uh, with Imperial Recruiter and find all kinds of targets up and down the mana curve, obviously you can tend to turn your mana into something better. And yes. it's one of the things that made it really appealing with Mox Amber for me is that's the, that's the tension I kept running into. You're playing Ragavan, right? Because you want to make sure you have your early one drops from Alex Amber and you want to accelerate again, but it sort of incentivizes you to keep playing small ball at that point. So how are you actually getting up the curve for your Mox Ambers to matter? And uh, I think this is a pretty good solution. That makes sense. Uh, last card, like I said, not really, not really top 10 because this is kind of 11, is Solitude. And I thought that this would be like, you know, maybe you play a couple on the sideboard or whatever, but people are uh, going hard on this card. Yep. With or without Ephemerate, man. They don't care. And Yeah, I'm seeing way more Squadron Hawks than I've seen in the past <laughs> however many years. So. Yep. 
yeah, that that's definitely a good enabler for it. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just strange to to me to want to do this uh, without Ephemerate, but a lot of these decks also have Imperial Recruiter, and like you know, I mean, you're, you're just gonna have access to a lot of resources and uh, are going to want to have good things to spend your mana on. And sometimes those things are three mana one ones to like get your ball going, right? And at that point, like Solitude just kind of saves you. Yeah, I, I saw a version of this in the legacy space, actually, which was also playing the the White Force from the last Modern Horizons. And then like a bunch of Legion Conquistadors and the other uh, three mana Squadron Hawk analog. Yeah. And then had like Ancient Tomb City of Traders mana base. And I'm like, this is this is very silly, but also it's my kind of silly and I support this. And I, I wonder if you can push even a little bit harder in the modern space as opposed to the legacy space. It, it's hard to convince me that Legion Conquistador is supposed to be a modern card, but if you have enough payoff, maybe it really does matter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all the things that are going on in the format, right? It's like, well, maybe this is busted, maybe this oh, is Oh, the busted. deck also had Oketra's Monument. I left out the most important part. Yeah, Sorry about that. yeah, of course. I mean, you need something to ancient tomb. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, so like all the things that are going on in this format, they just all involve creatures, even if it's like primeval titan stuff. They right? do. Like Solitude, That's true. Solitude prevents you from just getting KO'd by that thing. That's that's probably good again for modern. Like as far as just broad goals, what you're trying to do with the format, I, I think it's good that it now is a creature based format because for so long it was just like, how do I kill my opponent without actually interacting with them in any way? And there was Splinter Twin, there was Ad Nauseum, there was Storm, and all these decks at various points being the best thing you could do. That just didn't want anything to do with the battlefield, didn't want anything to do with combat, and we're pushing more and more in the direction of combat. So that's really good to see. Yeah. I mean, and granted, there are still like some ad nauseum bosses oracle decks with like the the tutor or whatever, yep. but but still. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that being a percentage of the format, 100 percent There was just a moment where it was never right to play creatures, basically, unless they were a combo, like birthing pod was fine, but that's yeah, fine. yeah. Those were the instances when Tarmogoyf was not good. Yes. It's like too slow of a clock and blocking doesn't matter. So what are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. Play anything else. So what what's the time frame look like for you to actually, you know, put your head down and get to work on this stuff? Theoretically, my things, I, I am in my house now, but my things are not with me. They are supposed to arrive on Sunday. So we're recording this on Thursday. I'm about three days out from actually having all of my stuff. Uh, I mean, I, if, if I had some free time, I could fire up a draft or two on this ancient laptop that I'm using. I'd probably be set on fire almost immediately. Moto's not that bad. Uh, okay, that's good to hear. It's really not. Um, um, you might want to restart it every couple of rounds, but yes, it's not that bad. Always good advice. Um, but, but I will probably be too busy up until my stuff getting here anyway. But hopefully next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I start settling in and getting back to my usual workflow, my usual groove when it comes to magic. And I can start uh, seeing if I can offer up uh, either ways to break some of these cards that are outstanding or optimize them or maybe just find other things that we haven't focused on yet. Because the set was very deep and there's, there's other stuff out there that I still want to spend some time on. Yeah, I mean, th this is the most prolific stuff, right? But there's still a lot of stuff underneath it, too. For sure. For sure. And I am heartbroken. I missed this first week because this is one of the best deck building weeks you can possibly be a part of. Uh, just anything feels possible. Every single article I wrote leading up to the release of Modern Horizons, it was just like, oh, I'll just write 
you know, generally about this card and drop a deck list or two in, and then they have eight deck lists or 10 deck lists because there's just so much to do with them. Yeah, you go deep. Yep. Yeah, I've had the same experience. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, you know, like, for example, like one of the cards that we, we didn't talk about was Grief, right? And it's yeah. like, that was the thing that everyone was That was the of. focal point. And is that showing up in the deck dumps? It, it is. Is it present? Yeah. It is. Uh, there, there are only a couple that were like trying to ephemerate it. And then it's just like showing up in Living End and stuff like that. But it's yep. still it's still solid. It's still there. Yeah. And pitch spells in general, how are you feeling about their presence in the format? That was, again, the big sticking point, the thing everyone was afraid of. They seem pretty good. I, although I will say that it's weird to be used to playing like what is uh, classically like a, a modern matchup, right? And then you just get blown out by like a solitude or like a mm-hmm. fury or something. You're just like, oh, what the hell? Yeah. You know, and it's just like, it's the game is like kind of close and like your decisions matter. And then you just get like blown away. Gonna uh, take some adjusting for sure. Yeah, so that aspect has been kind of weird, but I don't know. It's probably similar to like force of negation, where it's like, oh, I'm used, you know, they're tapped out. I'm used to my spell resolving, so I can just do this. And it's like, no, you actually have to adjust and actually consider like whether or not they could have it. If they do have it, like, is this still your best play, et cetera, et cetera? And I don't know. I guess in the case of these things, like, there's not there's not like a ton of counterplay, right? Like, if you're playing a deck that's gonna get furied, you're gonna get furied. Yeah. That is very true. Maybe you save a little bit of resources, but it's going to be challenging most of the time. It's more likely that these cards shape the metagame than they shape individual games, I think. Right. Or, or you know, the individual choices within those games, potentially. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's it's been weird. It's definitely a, a wrinkle where it's like, oh, you know, everything's on the table. Like, you have this card. That, that thing's new. I have to get used to, like, how the turns go with like dragon's rage channeler or whatever it's like do i have to kill this thing immediately can i wait for you to get some value stuff like that it's like that stuff is fun and interesting but like the kind of like fury scenarios you're just like i was just dead the whole time just dead (laughs) they always had it yeah sure i mean fury is one of the ones where it's like the biggest blow up potential and i think is very good but not a ton of people are playing it yeah again it's kind of like a weird fit in a lot of spaces i'm not sure exactly what deck is most excited about it well, even in in stuff like the Cascade deck, you know, I'm not really seeing it in a ton of sideboards, and I think it's quite good there, for example. Mm, interesting. We'll see if that makes the cut eventually. One of the things that has been a constant, like, watching these streamers is, like, they're just like, oh, yeah, I always lose to humans. Like, watching Canister, Doomwake, Aspiring Spike, it's just like every time their opponent plays, like, an unclaimed territory, they're like, damn it. <laughs> Scoop them up. Yeah. yeah. Humans Humans does things very well. I think you picked up on Esper Sentinel being a big difference maker. Uh, we'll see if everyone else joins you and if that deck gets tuned to, uh, again, a Razor's Edge like it has several times in the past. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's one of the examples where it's like people should be playing more Furies, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is it is definitely the fun police. I love to see it. Always, Always room for the fun police in every format game good luck